in a minute. All right. The sermon text reading is from Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Carson. Good morning, church. Good to be with you. Uh, As you might remember, our lead pastor, Scott, is on sabbatical, and we'll be back September 12th, that Sunday. So, really, I think that's Sunday. Regardless, it's sometime around September 12th. We are counting the days down for him to come back, which would be great. But yeah, so thanks for hanging in there with us. Um, On Thursday of this week, I had lunch with a dear friend, with a man named Dan DiCrescio, and If you've had lunch with Dan, you know Dan has an incredible ability to see you. You know, and and, and, you know, just to show you a little bit of his strategy, he uses wit and humor, and it opens your heart in such a way, and then he just, he smacks you. He just really gets there with you. Dan, we know you. We we all know that little, that little move you have. But uh, yeah, so Dan, Dan, it was an incredible lunch. If, If you need to know anything about obscure music or Things from the 70s and 80s. Dan can tell you all of that. I can't. Um, but Dan was great for me. Like, you know, I sat down with him and he, he said, Mike, how are you? How are you? And, you know, I don't regularly get that question. Being a caretaker, being someone who's caring for others, sometimes you guys ask me that, but most of the time I'm there to care for you. And I didn't really know how I was doing. And Dan began to, to just, just dig a little, very carefully, gently, very kind. And it took me to a place of really seeing myself, naming really clearly where I've been and what I'm feeling, but also what I believe is clear about the next steps. In this time together, through sushi, <laughs> eating some soup together, he, he was such a friend to help me go there, see me, and know where I need to go from there. And friends, we have been in a series all summer. It's called Seeing, Savoring, and Showing Jesus. And this morning is about friendship. It's about being a friend and allowing someone to friend us, right? And it's very timely because we're entering into the ministry season again, where we've, you know, we've not planted during the summer. We've pulled back. We're letting things grow that will grow. And now we want to be a lot more intentional with our hearts to see where we are, where we've been, and where we believe God's taking us, right? And seeing, savoring, and showing has been about 
getting in front of Jesus, encountering him, seeing him encounter people like the paralytic, and seeing what can we learn? What does that left brain really get from him? But not just stay there, but really begin to encounter him through savoring him, through going deeper. It, it's, it's the difference between knowing about someone and really knowing them. You know what I mean, right? Ta- telling Someone telling you that restaurant's good, and then you going and tasting it. That's been our, our hope, is that seeing would lead to savoring, and then savoring would lead to this spontaneous, this beautiful fullness that just comes out of us in showing him, right? And so our passage this morning, we're going to look at those points again. I don't, I don't think I've veered away from those three points, so forgive me. Others have, but I'm going to stay with what do we see Jesus doing? How do, how do we savor him this morning? And then what is, how do we show him as individually and as a community? So I'm not going to tell you much about Mark because I planned this series and then Scott planned his series. And he's going to be doing the book of Mark, I think, in the fall. I think we're going to go back to it pretty deeply. But Mark in general is a, it's, it's a book about what discipleship, what following Jesus looks like. That it's not following a code. That it's, a, it's about a relationship. And Mark takes things that didn't happen in this order necessarily, and he puts these snapshots together to show you these powerful encounters with Jesus. And even his verbs, they're, they're, they're mo- there's tons of movement. And then this, and then this. And, and that's, that's where we find him. He really wants us to see the power of our King Jesus. And so that's where we're going to jump in today, is just into the book of Mark and this very dramatic story. Right? Has anybody seen The Chosen? Yeah. Gosh, if you haven't seen it, guys, my son and I bawled at this episode. The episode of the paralytic. Just so many tears from it. It's just such a powerful representation of this story. But it's a very dramatic story, right? You know, let's, let's kind of go there with, there's a crowd coming in around Jesus. And let's just imagine right now, somebody starts opening the roof above us. Just imagine. What would happen? Right? Things would start falling. Things would be very like, you know, there was wood and this mud and these, these different like palm trees and different things put together to create these roofs. And they would walk on them and even sleep on them. So they had to be sound. So it's not just pulling a, a branch back, you know, and then going down. No, this is some real construction happening, right? And so it's loud. It's, he's sitting there and he's teaching. You know, he's, he's deep into thought and teaching and the crowds are captivated. Then boom, all of this happens. You're there, right? And this, everybody just stops and looks. I don't know if you notice in the passage, Jesus was home. A lot of people think this is his house. Others think it's, it's at least Peter's house. You know, Peter was the one disciple that was married, right? So a lot of people think it was his house or his mother-in-law's house, as, as they often go there. And so, again, this thing happens, and then this pallet comes down. Imagine how big the hole has to be for a pallet. This is, a, this is not an infant on the pallet. This is a man on the pallet. Imagine the, 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 just the width, the depth of this hole. And so he comes down. And then like the only idiot in the room, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine? Like just stop for a second. Imagine how you would feel. Right? It's like when people come to church sometimes and then, we talk about Jesus and we talk about different things and then we pass the offering plate. Oh, that's why you want us here. You need our money, right? That's, that's what it begins to feel like, right? It's like, oh, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> yeah, we can't see that one, 
right? It's like he's the only guy or he's maneuvering, right? He's either the only guy that doesn't know what this man needs or he's, maybe he's manipulative. Maybe, maybe he's not powerful enough to do it. So he's going to go, his sins are forgiven, right? And, and, you know, it's beautiful, but no one's mentioned sin so far. Jesus is the one that brings it up. Jesus creates this, this tension, this moment, because obviously we believe he's not an idiot and he's very intentional and that he's doing something. So what do we learn from this tension? What, you know, what, what's he doing? This purposeful tension is where Jesus is saying, I know your deepest need. Your deepest need is bigger than your legs. It's bigger than walking. It's your heart. It's the forgiveness that you need. That's your deepest need. So Jesus, by stopping, by slowing down, by seeing this man, he's saying, I see deeper than your legs. I see underneath your legs. I see what you really need deep inside here. Your sins are forgiven. So he's taking him deeper. He's creating this tension to go down. You know, and this is often a hard one, guys. Because you know, Scripture, it tells all who are weary, come, right? Scripture, left and right, says, bring your problems to Jesus. You're struggling. It's, it's, It's very biblical for us to feel money aches and marital aches and struggles and then go to Jesus with them. But when, when we get there, sometimes, and I see this in my office all the time, and I see it myself all the time, we're frustrated. He's not fixing it like I'd hoped. I didn't get the money that like I thought I would. My marriage still is hard. And matter of fact, when you start working on marriage, you know as well as I do, it gets harder because your eyes get open to certain things. It gets harder. And so we end up sometimes just giving up. I'm just not going to look at it. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. And so, friends, this morning, as we, as we just begin to see Jesus, I just wonder if you can hear his invitation. I bet you there's a list in here, just like mine. There's a list of struggles that you have, hardships that are there. And I just wonder if maybe, maybe we could shift our focus and see them, that maybe they're a gift. Maybe they're an avenue. Maybe they're a way that Jesus is trying to get to a deeper place in our hearts. Because I think... That's why Jesus does what he does. He could have healed him and then said, hey, follow me and we'll work on the heart thing. Right? He could have done that. But you know as well as I do. He fixes my legs. What do I do? I go running. I'm gone. And in 10, 15 days, a year, I forget. I forget that. And, and I just move on. I forget what happened for me. And so he has to heal my heart. And guys, I remember I was going into ministry and I felt different than what people were expecting of me. I felt depression oftentimes. You guys know I have abuse in my past. I felt just, ugh. And people would say, Mike, you're just so normal for your story. And I, and I never felt that inside. I always felt like something was wrong and there was this ache and this hurt inside of me, right? And then I remember the day I began to really name the abuse, the time. There's a man named uh, Joe Johnson and my, a leader in, in my campus ministry. They began to help me wrestle with the abuse. And we started this book called Wounded Heart. And I'll never forget the forward of that book, the beginning of it. I'm going to read it to you. A man named Larry Crabb wrote the beginning of it. And it's, it's kind of long, but it's my only quote. So I get one long quote, right? It says this, When people, through absolutely no fault of their own, are subjected to terrible crimes against God and against their souls, like sexual abuse, Powerful forces are set into motion within them that make it especially frightening to give themselves to others, exhorting them to just 
trust God tends to generate frustration and provoke angry questions about the reality of Christian truth. One of the great needs in the church today is to replace a model for simplistic sanctification with an understanding of the gospel that is both simple and penetrating, reaching with power into the realities of sinful, damaged souls. That that shift requires pioneer work and thinking hard about tough problems like childhood, sexual abuse, and many others. Problems that, because they do not yield easily to our current ideas about victory in Christ, tend to be ignored. Now listen to this last sentence, guys. Last few. Sorry, it's so small. If that pioneering effort is to be biblical, it must insist that the image of God is central to developing a solid view of personality, that our sinfulness, not how we've been sinned against, is our biggest problem, that forgiveness, not wholeness, is our greatest need, that repentance, not insight, is the dynamic in all real change. I'm starting a book to address what happened to me. My greatest need is my sinful heart. The ways I've responded to all of those things. Yes, they're horrible what happened to me. And all of us, you have mothers and fathers that have failed you. You, you have bankruptcy and friends that have stabbed you in the back. All these different things that have happened. And our greatest need is not what's happened to us, but where our hearts are. And what our hearts need is this encounter with his forgiveness. That's what this is saying. And obviously our response and repentance. And so, how do you bring, how do, how do you encounter Jesus in a way to see that need? To to go below. Can we begin to see our suffering as a gift, as a pathway? You know, I remember when my son Keller, who's up front, when he was a little tiny thing, he was just, I don't know, probably 18 months old. And, you know, a toddler, so he can't, he's not very self-controlled, but he got this huge splinter uh, playing on our deck in Florida. And, I mean, big, right? And so I take him in the kitchen and I put him up on the counter and I get tweezers, and I start trying to work on it. And you can imagine, 18 months old, he's wailing because it hurts already so bad. And dad's just digging in, right? And so I get a little bit of it, and I look up, and he's just crying. So snot coming out of his nose. Forgive me, buddy. And he's, he's, he's sticking that bottom lip out, which I know he's super hurt, you know. And I'm just, I'm sorry, buddy. And I'm trying to plead with him and talk to him. And guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I started crying. He was hurting so bad, and I couldn't get it out. You know, I couldn't, but I, I had to keep going. I had to keep digging. Why? I didn't want him to get infected. I don't want him to lose his toes. And so I hurt him because it helped him. Guys, if me, if I cry over a splinter, how much more a father who's perfect, who's good, who created you, who absolutely adores you? Yes, the suffering's real, friends. But we must go deeper, he says. See me. I'm going to take you deeper. And so if that's how we see him, if that's what we want to see is Jesus and hear this invitation to go deeper, how do we get there? What does it mean to savor him? I want to start with five and six here, the verses from our passage. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Because who can forgive sins but God? You know what's interesting? They're right. They're right. The the scribes are the guardians of the law, friends. 
And so they believed, they believed the Lord our God is one. So for him to say he's forgiving sins, he's claiming to be God. So they have a massive problem with what Jesus is doing. The, the claims that something of that magnitude would be making, they're, they're very, they're, they're really struggling. Tim Keller has this great example he uses. I'm going to just bring it to my home. But let, let's say my son Lincoln punches my son Keller in the face. And I go up to Lincoln and say, I forgive you, buddy. Keller would be, what would he do? He would go, Dad, no, no, he didn't punch you. He punched me. You can't forgive him for what he did to me, right? And, and Jesus is saying, son, your sins are forgiven. He's saying, your sins are against me. And he's saying, he is God. So you can imagine now the scribes, the guardians, the ones who are protecting this thing. No, no, this cannot be true. And so the, the tension deepens, right? He's taking them down. And I love it. I love what, where Jesus is going with them. And, and friends, he will always, Jesus, I think, will always, if you investigate him and you, you journey, you pursue him, he'll eventually lead you down the road, eventually, to whether you either deny him and call him blasphemous or worship him. I think, I think if you really take him at who he is and you follow him down, and there's a lot of great authors that have written beautifully and poetically and amazingly about that. Tim Keller, C.S. Lewis, Jonathan Edwards, all these great names from the past. I'm just telling you, I, th- I see it, it. That's where it leads us. And so, but before we deny him, before we call him blasphemous, let's look at 9 through 11. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. You know, I think for the first time ever, I noticed Jesus' kindness to the scribes. Like, so that the scribes may know, I say to the paralytic, pick up your bed and walk. Jesus wants them to know that his authority which if you look up John Frame and many of these others, authority is this. He has the power and the right. He has the power and the right. It's his right to do this. He has that authority. He says, so that you may know I have the power and the right. Pick up your bed. The power and right to forgive sins. Pick up your bed and walk, right? That you, you think I'm a fraud. You think I have no authority. But because I'm even kind to you, pick up your bed and walk. I love it. But guys, it does pose the question, which is easier? Which is easier, to forgive sin or to heal his love? What will it mean if Jesus forgives this man? How does Jesus accomplish forgiveness for us? Just do the math, friends. Do you know what it means? That means he will faithfully have to go all the way to a cross. He will, the one who knew no sin, will have to become sin on our behalf and be raised high and lifted up and be separated from his eternal father. He will have to go through death and hell to accomplish forgiving sin. Which is easier, to forgive sin or to... 
to have this new normal. Do you see Jesus' challenges to you? Do you see this morning for you that the reason he's inviting you deeper is because what forgiveness accomplishes for us? You know, let, let me tell you. Let me just slow down. I know it's, it's the fundamentals, right? This is a football. It's the fundamentals of who we are. But sin means debt. It means alienation. It means there's, there is distance from us and God, that we are not welcome into his presence. And Jesus says, I'll take that for you. I'll take that for you. I'll go after it. I'll put that on, and I'll be alienated. Why? So that you can now be righteous, so that you can have the wholeness, so that in the forgiveness, you now have intimacy. You have connection. You have attachment. You have me now. You see that? So he takes us deeper. He takes the suffering and and sets it just to the side for a moment and says, hey, will you go deeper with me? Because here, here is what you long for. Here is the connection that you lost that you ultimately need. And, And everything else, it doesn't matter now. Because if you get this, if this is central, now you cannot walk and you can be okay. Now you can struggle in your marriage and know you're going to be okay. Now you can never get married and know he's with you. Do you see what it does? See, the forgiveness, when he gets your heart, when he's that close, it orders everything else. And it, his power and his right, it, 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 it fills in a way. And it directs and it gives us an, an avenue to face any kind of suffering that we, that we will be up against. But I love his kindness here. You see verse 5, look at verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, You don't just have a king, friends. You just you don't have this distant God. His forgiveness, learning to savor that, you have a new kind of relationship with him. He's a father. You're his son. That's why he takes us deeper. And that's, that's why we go through pains to get there. He restores the int- intimacy and he orients us. Love it. And so now if he's in seeing him, he's inviting us deeper and savoring him. He's, he's going to the, the, the greatest need of our heart is that connection with him. How do we show him? What does it look like to show him to the world? And I love this part. Um, you know, we, we all long for, for transformation. And the, I've, I've given you this example before, but I've seen it again recently. There's a, there's a show called Just for Laughs, and I've seen these little clips of it. And they create these scenarios that, you know, like they'll take a picture of your face and put it on something you just bought. And you're like, whoa. Well, they have this Jesus figure <laughs> that he dresses up like Jesus and he'll walk up to a, a, a water fountain and he'll go like right in front of somebody. And then wine comes out of the water fountain and people are like, you know, and he has this one where this nurse is taking up money and there's a little bucket and there's, you know, it's a booth. And the nurse asks this man to watch over it. So he goes, the nurse goes, or not nurse, the, the nun <laughs> goes to the bathroom and, and the man's sitting there watching it. And this Jesus figure pops out and he comes over to it and he goes, he does this like Jesus, just like that. And the guy's like, are you kidding me? And then there's a guy in the booth, and all the, he's got this plunger thing, and he pushes the money up, and it just starts going everywhere. And the guy's face is like, <laughs> I like the, you know, and he does it over and over. And the people, like their faces, I want you to be, I want to be honest, doing what I do, their faces crush me. Because it's like, it's almost like, you know, is it true? Is it true? For a moment, time stops. It's true. And then only to find out it's not true. 
I was tricking you. I hate that pastor. I hate it. I think it's hilarious, but I hate it. <laughs> and the reason I do it, well, but where we go is like, look, guys, as Jesus, as he begins to show, remember what he says, to show you the Son of Man, which is a Daniel 7 term. Daniel 7, there's one who comes like a man, the Son of Man, who will bring the judgment of God. He is bringing the forgiveness of God here. He's, he's calling himself the Son of Man because it's cryptic. Nobody in that time, they're not using that term for a Messiah that would come. Remember, he's not revealing who he is outwardly yet. So he says, the Son of Man. But to reveal his authority, what does he do? He heals the man. Do you, do you know what that calls us to? Do you know that if we are transformed, the world sees his authority? That's, that's the line I'm drawing for us, is that transformation here leads to the world seeing it. How do we know? Look at 12, guys. Look. Look at verse 12. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Guys, I've told you that my wife and I, at year eight, we were ready to be done with each other. I mean, we, we were fighting and, and harsh and hurting each other in ways like we never knew. And today, next year is year 20 for us. I put it up against any of y'all. <laughs> Just being real. I love my wife, man. And we fight like crazy sometimes. But we have an incredible marriage. We have an incredible... My marriage has become a picture. of God can transform. He can take a man who's been through what I've been through and help me be a husband that loves a woman and a father that loves these children. He's transforming me. And it becomes a picture. And this is, this is our, our amazing God who takes us deeper, who transforms us. And so the call, I mean, I hope you see the weight of that. That It's, it's that important, the mission for us to be transformed. But isn't it a great mission? It's like, oh my gosh, I get to be transformed to show the world that he transforms. That's an incredible mission that he calls us to, right? But, but look, let's go a little deeper because remember I told you, we need friends. This passage is about friends, right? Look at verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Anybody catch that? Whose faith? These men put this, these men and women, maybe, we don't know, it says there, put this, their friend on a pallet. They bring him to Jesus. And friends, this is unprecedented in Scripture. And seeing their faith, he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. What? <clears throat> like, nowhere else. There's something about their faith that leads to his healing. What? Do you, do you, friends, that's the kind of friendship we're called to, is to, to take, to, to know the pain and the struggles of those around us. And where do we take them? There's one place that we know healing can happen, and it's at the feet of Jesus. And so you know what we do? Oh, there's a ceiling in the There's a crowd in the way. Okay, we're going to go around the crowd. Oh, there's stairs. We're going up the stairs. There's a roof in the way. I'm, gonna, I'm tearing it open. Like, it's that important to get this person in front of Jesus. Are you that kind of friend? Do you have those kind of friends? Oh, that's the call of this passage, friend. It's to, to be that kind of friend, to get people in front of Jesus. And so listen, being that kind of friend, I think that's one of the easier parts for us as a congregation. But I got to be real with the second one. 
I was on campus outreach staff, and, and a, my mentor, the one who did my eldership here, thing, whatever you call it, thing, um, he, he taught this passage to us, and he invited us to get on the mat. And my, one of my best friends at the time, a guy named Daniel, I'm not going to cuss like he did, but he said, I hate the F in mat. He hates the mat. Think about the mat, friends. On the mat, you can't walk. On the mat, you need everybody else to carry you. On the mat, you're helpless. Who knows that stuff about you? What friend helped, knows the most horrible, grueling things about you and helps you get on the mat and takes you to Jesus? See, because we love taking others. But to be on the mat ourselves, oh my gosh. That's a vulnerability. That's, a, that's, that's an ask that's too much sometimes, isn't it? Don't we hate the mat? But the, the passage calls us to both, friends. If we've we got to get in front of them and be seen. And, and friends, this is how we lean in together. And so, you know, I want to leave us today with, with a few things of how we're inviting you to get on the mat. David mentioned them. We're starting our neighborhood communities over, right? And we're starting our DNA groups over. Well, Thursday at lunch, I'm sitting with Dan. Decrecio, remember that story? Dan said this to me. He said, Mike, I miss Missional Mike. That was my nickname. I'm just joking. It wasn't. Um, he said, I miss that fiery Mike, the one that used to call us to love our neighbor and had all these shapes and would, would made sure we had trainings over and over and invited the church over and over and over to see him savor and show. I miss him. Guys, you, do you know how important that statement was to me? It, it made me stop and go, well, where is he? What happened to him? You know, and we're... And, I didn't tell you that at the beginning, but, but that's what he did. He helped me get on the mat, guys. And I began to get on the mat with him and tell him my frustrations, how tired I've been, the hardships I've gone through, and where I just need Jesus to encounter me. Dan took me there. He took me right at the face of Jesus on the mat. Guys, we can say a lot of things about neighborhood communities and DNAs, but that's what we want. That's what they're about. See, change lives through the power of Jesus. That's what we're about. And to do that... He's, he said that I created a church for that. You're going to do greater things than me, he says. And so how will we do that? Our neighborhood communities, they're about fellowship, fun, and mission. That's what they're about. They're, they're, they're about being together. And if, if neighborhood communities are about fellowship, DNA groups, they're about formation. How are you formed? Who are you with? They're, they're gender specific, most of them. And they're about being together with, with brothers and sisters who, who know us, who get to know us, and where we're known that take us to Jesus together, right? Um, our, our diaconal group, it's about missional identity. Where is this church called to put our foot on Satan's neck? That's what we say. There's, there's specific evil in this city, and there are specific people in this church that God has raised up. Where are we putting our foot on his neck? Where are we stamping out evil together, Right? That's, that's what our diaconal groups are about. And, and also, we're starting a story group. It's going to be a little different than maybe what you've experienced. Some of our Allender training, we're going to do a story group together this fall. There's a couple of us that are going to lead that. So it's going to be about working on some of those deeper heartaches. Guys, volunteering with our kids, you know you get the opportunity to show them Jesus, to take them to Jesus. It's a different kind, it's a different kind of thing, but to play with them is to open their hearts so they can be known by you and so you can take them to Jesus. Volunteering is that. And then, Many other places of volunteering. And then Manmaker, 
it's going to be a really important time for us as men to get away and to talk about and do things and practice things like this out of our out of our normal rhythms of life to get away and do this together so that we come in and, and re-enter back into life in a way that's different, right? So these are some of the vehicles that we're, we created, that, that we've been using for years and that we need to, to, to revamp, give new energy and life to. And as God's transforming me, I know there's going to be new life in those as well. Because that's the order, right? He does it in us and he does it through us. And so can, can we see him today? Just to close, can we see him inviting you deeper? Will you begin to savor him? Because the intimacy he creates through the forgiveness that he accomplished for you so that he fills us to go show him to the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We need you this morning. Uh, Lord, I, we're all on a pallet right now. And your table is where we find your face. It's where you... Your righteous are lifted up to be with you. And so I pray you'd meet us right now through confession as we go to your table, that we would encounter your face, that you would help us take you in and not just know of you, but to know you today, to be filled by you so that we are energized to go out and love our neighbor, but also to love each other. So meet us here, Jesus, through your spirit. Amen. The teaching of God's word with